You're listening to Your Woo Woo Best Friend, a no BS approach to wellness, spirituality, manifestation, and all things mystical. Hello, hello, my friends. It's Andy. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so have you been feeling this double whammy retrograde of Mercury and Venus with a little bit more intensity than usual? I definitely have. I am not someone, as you know, if you've been listening to the show or hanging around for a while, I am not someone to get all doom and gloom and totally freaked out by retrogrades. But this Mercury retrograde, which started in Aquarius, Aquarius ruling all things technology, and then moved into Capricorn, ruling all things CEO-ness, has felt a little bit intense for me. I had computer meltdown. I've had some scheduling stuff going on, and I am very much looking forward to moving into the month of February, letting these retrogrades be behind us. I am definitely feeling like this new moon coming up, as well as the Lunar New Year, feels to me very much like the new year. It's also coming at this portal of February 2nd, of 22. So it's a 2222. I'm really thinking about the numerology of the number two. And I think that is what I'm going to be bringing into this year the feeling of the number two. Two is a supreme feminine force. I honestly had been struggling with coming up with what's my word for the year. And I think that is going to be, it's not a word, it's kind of a a feeling, maybe two words, two words, two words for this year of 2-2. Feminine force. That's my words. Okay, we've decided it. I also wanted to mention if you are feeling into your feminine force and you are someone who is manifesting soul-led business growth in 2022, we do have a few spaces remaining in the Opulent Shift program. I have to tell you, there's a celebration going on over here in my office. We had a 94% increase in our business in 2022. And I thought about, should I really share this? Is this something I want to talk about? Look, that is something that I'm really proud of. So I'm sharing it with you. And I also want to mention it because inside of the program, the Opulent Shift, what we do is completely pull the curtain back to show you how we do things in our business. I offer this program in partnership with a dear, beautiful friend of mine who I actually have coming on the show for a bonus episode super soon. You're going to hear from her in the next couple of days, actually. My friend Nadia, we met in Bali many years ago. We immediately connected on so many levels. We mostly connected on the level of this feminine force idea, but also really having freedom as a high value in our lives. And that includes location freedom, being able to live and work wherever we feel called to be. That includes financial freedom, being able to create a life for ourselves and our families in which we can know that we're all taken care of freedom to have relationships and partnerships and business and otherwise that really light us up and make us feel alive and empowered. And then freedom to make self-care a priority in everything that we do. And that's what we aligned on. And that's what we teach in the Opulent Shift program. We give you a peek behind the curtain, show you how we're running our businesses. She's a seven-figure business owner. She's an absolute incredible visionary mind and her business is all around her love of and her family's love of music and travel and creativity. By the way, we're also hosting a free event. If you're feeling like, yeah, I think I'm kind of feeling into this and I want to see what you guys are up to and I want to be inspired and expanded. We're hosting a free event on Tuesday, February 1st. It's called Business Foundations Breakthrough Experience. And I'll make sure that I leave a link to sign up in the show notes. If you have questions, of course, send them our way and we will get those questions answered. And if you're listening to this after Tuesday, February 1st, we do stuff like this all the time. So if you're on the newsletter list, you will get invitations to things like this 
on the regular. Okay, so let's talk now about my guest for today, an ex-Mormon, an ex-millionaire, Doug Cartwright founded the online company, The Daily Shifts, to inspire lasting transformation of the mind, the body, and the soul. The Daily Shifts is now an app, a masterclass, and a blog. Recently, Doug chronicled his personal journey of introspection and healing in his new book, also a best-selling book, called Holy Shit, We're Alive. The book is Doug's story, a psychedelic journey into meditation, silent retreats, astrophysics, neuroscience, philosophy, and all forms of self-healing. Doug's story is all around shifting perspective on life. Can you imagine being someone who leaves their religion and leaves their lifestyle as a millionaire behind in order to find healing and in order to truly connect into your authentic self. That's what Doug has done. And his intention is to help others to find their own transformation and their own healing through his work. A little FYI before we get started, we're going to be talking about psychedelics on this episode. So just for you to know, in case there's sensitive ears, FYI, we're going to be talking about psychedelics. I'm so thrilled to have Doug here. We have quickly become fast friends. So let's get into it. Welcome my new friend, Doug Cartwright. Hey, Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. As I was mentioning to you before we got started, I'm really interested in talking to you about your story. I've been playing around with the app, and we're going to start with some astrology first, and then we'll dive right in. I know that astrology is, you're not an astrologer. Sometimes on the show, we have astrologers, but you, you've done your research and you know your big three. So go ahead and tell me what those are. Yeah, it's actually funny. You, I love that. Uh, the podcast is called the woo woo podcast. Cause I, when I, when I, when I, when I uh, talk to people, I always ask them like, well, how woo woo are you? Yeah. They're like, woo, 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 woo. And I always tell people I'm just one woo. I'm <laughs> okay. for sure woo. I'm for sure woo, but one woo. And yeah, so I mean, you, you've done some woo things yeah, for I've sure. Done, I've done some woo, 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 woo things and I've kind of yeah. landed on one woo. So with that being said, I had to actually look my, my astrology stuff up. Um, okay. And so I am a Capricorn with okay. a Sagittarius moon and a Gemini rising. Ooh, okay. Ooh, so, so I, I have no idea what that means. So uh, Sag moon and then Gemini rising. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you the quick basics. So the Capricorn in you is not surprising that you started you started your life in a very different way than where you are now. Capricorns are like incredible CEOs. They're like incredible founders of businesses. Um, they're really structured. I'm a Capricorn rising. So I also started a, my career very differently. I was working in a, as a, in a corporate executive sort of world. And that's kind of normal for Capricorn folks. Um, but the Sag moon is, so the moon sign reflects how you experience emotion, how you connect deeply with people. And Sagittarius is all about philosophy, exploration, travel, experience. So while your Capricorn son was like, I need to show up and I need to like be the boss and I need to like work really hard and I need to like the, the Capricorn is represented by the goat. So it's like mm. the, the like mountain goat climbing to the top of the mountain being really methodical. But then the Sagittarius in you was like, except emotionally, I feel like I need to be exploring and traveling and and getting deep into philosophy and understanding the world in a different way. And then the Gemini rising. So the rising sign is the mask you wear to the world. And Gemini is all about playful, fun communication, being able to really win people over with language and energy. And so if you spend any time in sales, Gemini would make a lot of sense. So yeah. It feels pretty accurate. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I barely know you. And from what yeah. I've what I've read about you, that that feels really right. Cool. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's chat a bit about your story. So let's start with, hmm, where do you want to start? Um, I think just the foundation of where it all kind of began. And I always tell people like, you know, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, I was raised in a bubble. But when you're raised in a bubble, you don't know you're raised in a bubble. So everyone in my neighborhood and my community was white, upper middle class, um, Mormon. Most majority of people were, grew, grew up in the Mormon faith. 
and kind of leaned uh, conservative politically. And mm-hmm. so when you're raised in that environment, you kind of don't understand that there's like a huge world out there with so many different thoughts and opinions and ideas because everyone around you is the same. And so what's interesting, and not just in the Mormon faith, but in my studies of most religions is a lot of people kind of have their lives laid out for them being raised. So it's like, here's the, here's the roadmap of what you're supposed to do in your life and go to school and get good grades, participate in extracurricular activities at school, you know, be captain of the football team and kind of like how you show up in the world is like this picture perfect uh, person in, in the Mormon faith. Anyone that's that grew up Mormon that's listening to this or uh, has any ties would understand the phrase called Peter priesthood, which is like, the, the, the term they would use would be Peter Priesthood of like, I have all my stuff together and I'm everything's happy and we're good and everyone's amazing all the time and there's no problems, whatever, and I love God. And it's just like this fake um, persona of how you're supposed to be. And um, I did a really good job of playing that role. You know, it's kind of like you're being pushed into this box of who you're supposed to be. And I did a really, really good job at it. And I was captain of the football team and I was student body vice president and I was this happy, you know, community leader that gave back and I was just playing all of the roles that I thought I was supposed to. And so that was kind of just the foundation of my life. And I had, you know, I don't have any negative resentment towards it. I had a really great childhood and I was raised in a very, very loving, safe home. And mom and dad loved each other unconditionally and I was fully supported and and I had a really, really great childhood. And it wasn't until later that I realized I'm like, wait, this isn't how life really is. Yeah. So what started to occur for you? And at what point did that start to happen that gave you this spark in your mind that, oh, wait, I need to I need to look at look at other things. There's something else here. Yeah. So what the first kind of major shift in my life is in the Mormon faith. There is a coming of age ritual where you, as a man, when you're 18, you get what's called your mission call. So you go on a service mission. So I don't know if you've ever heard of like the elders or the missionaries, or if you've seen like the Book of Mormon musical. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you you, you become an elder and for two years you get uh, assigned a mission and Mm -hmm. they say it's inspired by God. So you don't get to choose where you go. And then for two years, there's the only thing you do is proselyte um, and convert people to the Mormon faith. So you're not on, you don't have a cell phone, you don't play video games, you don't watch TV, you don't listen to music. And 24 7, 365, you get sent to a foreign place and you only convert people to the Mormon faith. And it's like this really, really big deal. You know, it's always in the back of your mind as a, as a boy growing up, where it's like, oh, my mission's coming up. And can I really give up two years of my life to go do this? And it's kind of intense because. You're away from your family and your friends, and it's hard. And so um, as you prepare for that mission, um, there's a standard of worthiness that's expected of you before you go, of of way you live your life. So, you know, no girls, no sex, no alcohol, no porn, whatever it may be. And so you're supposed to live really, really, you know, narrow. So you can be worthy to spread God's word is what they say. And so I got my mission call when I was 18. I got called to Auckland, New Zealand. I felt like I hit the lottery. I was so yeah, stuck. not a not a bad place to get called yeah. to. Yeah, I had friends that got called to like Omaha, Nebraska, and I got called to New Zealand. So mm-hmm. I was stoked, and um, I was doing all the right things. I was studying the scriptures and being prepared, and so it gets you know we're getting close to my departure date. I have my big farewell party. I said goodbye to everyone, to family and relatives. I spoke in church. I didn't enroll in, you know, college, had my bags packed, spent all this money on new suits. And it was the night before I'm supposed to leave. And I had a girlfriend at the time. And so when you're like 18 saying goodbye to your girlfriend before you go on your missions, like you're going to war and it's like this big, dramatic, emotional scene. And so I went to go say goodbye to my girl and I'm like, wait for me. Don't get married to another guy until I get home. You know, it's like really dramatic. And as I'm saying goodbye to her, you know, it was, it was an emotional moment and we got intimate and we broke some of the rules. And I remember leaving being like, oh no, like I'm technically not worthy anymore to go on my mission. And, but I leave tomorrow. Like I can't, I can't X this whole thing. And so 
the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment of that would be way too heavy because here I am like this perfect community member who's captain of the football team and student body vice president. And I've done every, this Peter Priestett, I've done everything right. I can't deal with that shame and guilt right now. And so I swept it under the rug. I didn't tell anyone. And so I left on my mission and, you know, for nine months I was in New Zealand and I was showing up as this really good missionary and I was doing all the right things on my mission. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, God knows that I'm, I've lied to everyone. God knows my secret. And the shame and the guilt and the disappointment just continued to build and build and build and build until it finally got to a point nine months into my mission that I confessed and came clean. And I didn't think I was going to get sent home for my mission. I just thought I was going to get like a you know slap on the wrist or whatever. But the, uh, the man in charge of the mission actually sent me home. So wow. I, got, I got kicked off my mission early. After nine months, I got sent home and getting kind of kicked off of your mission and you know, being inserted back into the community, it was really embarrassing. Because it's like, like everybody knows. Everybody's like, oh, this is what you did. And now you can't even complete the mission. And it's like a fall from grace completely. Totally. Like I failed. And like God's mad at me because he know that I, he knows that I lied. And my community like sees me make this walk of shame. And wow. so it was like, I am not in good standing with God. I'm not in good standing with my community. I've let down my mom. I've let down my friends. I've let down my community members. And just the weight and the embarrassment of that was really, really heavy. And that was kind of the first time in my life where like I took on a different role of maybe being like the bad boy or maybe being like the villain and trying to find my place in the world after that. Because I think at our core, you know, we're all striving to feel seen, heard and validated and accepted by our peers. And I am no longer accepted in my church anymore. So I was trying to find, you know, my way after that point. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's a lot to carry for anyone. But for someone who's been the vice president of the student council and the captain of the football team and has like been on the path to all of this success to walk back in fully head down in, in shame is, is a lot to carry. So what did you do next? Yeah. So I think it's important to say if we, if we take a step back, I think you know the underlying drive behind all of this right, was you know, the f- foundation of my work today as I've, as I've gotten into this personal development and healing world is I started to realize that every single person, me, you, everyone listening, we all carry a story um, yeah. about why we're not enough. And a lot of us have shame and guilt. And mine actually started when I was in second grade. I uh, was overweight. I was a chubby kid. And I got teased for being the fat kid. And I have this distinct memory of being in second grade on the playground and having an older fifth grader tease me and bully me. And I, I, it wasn't consciously, but I subconsciously created a story in that moment that, oh, something's wrong with me. I don't fit in as I naturally mm-hmm. am. Like I'm, I'm broken. There's something wrong. I don't, my body is, is disformed. And so I don't fit in. And so now I have to prove myself why I should be accepted. Yeah. Right. And so that drive really pushed me through elementary, junior high, and high school of, you know, <clears throat> especially in junior high, when you, when you get into that phase of your life, when you're like interested in girls and you want to flirt and, you know, you start having little romantic connections, the girls never liked me because I was overweight. And so I had to come up with coping mechanisms of how to get validation and how to get attention. And so I became really, really nice. I became really, really funny. I was really sweet. I was do whatever, you know, whatever you need, I'll take care of it type of thing. And it served me in a lot of ways because I was a nice guy and became popular for being funny. But really at my core, I was screaming for acceptance and just like validation. Like I need the world to accept me and I'm seeking everyone's approval because of my core. I felt like I was broken, right? Something is wrong with me and, and I can't hide it because you can physically see it. When I walk into a room to meet you the first time, I can't hide that I'm overweight, right? And that's looked down upon. So now I have to approve, have to prove to you why you should approve of me. And mm-hmm. so um, at the core of all this, tying that into the church was like, okay, I need to go be captain of the football team. I need to um, be student body vice president. And really it's just like, hey, look, I'm doing all of these things right. Please approve of me. And so 
I get sent home from my mission, right? Now it's like, okay, I don't fit into society because I'm overweight and something's wrong with me. And now I don't fit into my religion anymore because I've, I'm shamed by God because I lied about my worthiness. Mm-hmm. And I needed to go find a way to like make up for that, to fit back into society. Mm-hmm. And I was like scrambling. And there was like a, a year and a half period of my life after getting sent home from my mission where I was really, really lost and not sure where to land. And in that time frame, my dad actually then got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. So here I am kind of this lost boy. I don't feel like I fit in because I'm overweight. I've, I'm, I've done bad by God. And now my dad, who I'm so close with, basically just gets a death sentence. And so, yeah, you're like, I was already fucked. And now it's, yeah. now this is happening. Yeah. yeah. And you know, my world came down at that moment. And I remember, so he got diagnosed in May, 2010. And then he passed in August, 2011. And I remember, um, the night before he passed away, I was outside his door and my mom was sitting next to me at the top of the stairs. And we knew he, you know, he was on hospice care. It was, you know, we knew his time was very, very thin. And so I remember she put her arm around me to uh, nurture me. And I remember this massive flood of emotion starts to boil up inside of me and starts to release, you know, of sadness and despair and grief and loss of my dad. And that was like purging all for about four seconds and then I went back to my old mind of like, oh, no, I need to be strong. Men don't cry. Don't be weak in front of, mom, in front of my mom. I need to be like the foundation of this family now. And so I just pushed all of that suppressed emotion down inside. So now I've got, I'm not lovable because I'm the fat kid. God doesn't love me because I lied and, and I was wrong by God. And now my dad's gone and I need to suppress that loss and grief. So I have all of these festering emotions just like building, 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 building up. And I just didn't even know what was going on or what needed to happen. And feeling these intense emotions and not knowing how to process them, you know, it starts to build this, this massive explosion that's about to bomb. Yeah. God, gosh. So you're, you've, you've gone through all of that now and you're like, you know, barely an adult. It's like barely even time to start to sort out what, yeah, what you're going to like do with, with your, with your life. And it completely informs the work that you then begin to do for yourself. And now from, from what you've done for yourself, you, you start to create, create offerings like the shift and now your book too, that help other people to find their way. But you had to go through a lot of things after that to start to well, in that, but then after that also to start to find some healing. Yeah. So, but before we get in, before the shift really happened was, you know, I got, so now I'm like this 20 year old dealing with God shame and religion shame, dealing with- probably like one of the highest shames you yeah, can have. It's like God, yeah. does, God is not happy with what you've done, right? And dealing with losing my dad and dealing with, I don't fit into my community dealing with body shame. I don't fit in just by who I am naturally, like something's wrong with me. And so I'm like, I am desperate to fit in, desperate for approval. And in my early twenties, I I remember being at the career fair. I went to the university of Utah and I being at the career fair, I came across this booth where this gentleman was talking about door to door sales. And I remember thinking like, no, I'm not gonna, I mean, that's kind of like a, a, it's looked down upon to be a door to door salesman, but he was showing me this commission structure of like how much money you can make. And I remember looking at it and thinking it wasn't real. Like, this is fake. That's way too much money. Like, there's no way you can make that much money doing this. And I had like a Wolf of Wall Street moment. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but I was like, show, <laughs> yeah. show me your bank account. I literally asked him like, hey, if that's real, show me your bank account. And he shows me, pulls out his his Chase online bank account. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what? <laughs> and so the the light bulb switched in my head. It clicked, it clicked in two ways where I was like, whoa, like, if I just learn this skill set and work really, really hard, I can be fully in charge of how much money I make. I'll get paid on my production, not on my time. And that was a transformational idea that I had in my early 20s. Yeah. And secondly, you know, subconsciously, I'm thinking, wait, if I make a bunch of money, 
society really approves of that and looks highly upon that. And so this is my ticket to be approved of. This is my way to earn my respect back in my community. Like if I can go make a bunch of money, then everyone will think I'm great and they'll approve of me again. And so I became, you know, for the next, you know, ended up being seven, eight years of my life, but I became absolutely obsessed with sales, leadership, recruiting, management, personal development, and read all the books and went to all the seminars and watched all the YouTube videos. And then I went and worked my ass off and became really, really good at this job. And by the time I was 24, I'd made a million dollars. And yeah. And so I was doing really, really, really well financially. And when you give uh, a broken soul who doesn't feel validated a bunch of money, right? What do you think I did with all that money? <laughs> it, it probably was, uh, it was probably something very different from what you would do with it today. Very different. Yeah. It went really fast. I spent it really, really fast yeah. because it was like, I was trying to gain everyone's validation and approval. And so I was, you know, walking into the Mercedes dealership at 23 years old, buying a $106,000 car in cash. Like, and it was, it wasn't that I wanted that $106,000 car Mercedes. It was that I wanted to feel cool. Yeah. Yeah. And a 23 year old in that car is like, Hey, everybody, look what I, look what I've done for myself. Someone please validate me. Someone please tell me I'm cool. Please tell me I fit in. And you know, it, it was, it's crazy looking back on it now because I'm a big sports guy and I would, you know, I was going to the World Series and the NBA Finals and the Super Bowl and the Masters and the College Football Championship. And I'm sitting front row and I'm posting pictures on Instagram and, you know, I would go on dates. I would, I would match with a girl like on Tinder when I'm like 24, 25 years old, don't even know anything about this girl. And I'd pick her up in my really fancy car and buy her courtside seats to the Utah jazz game and spend hundreds of dollars on a all out dinner. And if, you know, we are lucky to go on a third date, it's like, Hey, I'm going to fly you out to Disneyland for the date, you know, and just over the top extravagant. All I'm really trying to do is just please tell me I'm enough. Please love me. Right. Because I don't love myself. And I got lost in that world for a long time. I'm trying to get external validation and kind of the, the climax of that was, you know, in 2015, I went down to Phoenix to go to the Super Bowl. Um, and the night before, I was, you know, VIP at the W Hotel for a Drake concert. And then the next day, I spent $15,000 on a ticket to sit in a private suite with NBA superstar Kevin Durant. And, you know, I walk into the suite and here's this, you know, really famous athlete. So the first thing I do is I take a selfie with him, of course. And then I post that on Instagram and then the whole game, instead of watching the game, I'm just refreshing my Instagram. Right. Right. Yep. Who's liking mm-hmm. it? Who's commenting on it? Who's sharing it? Like, look how cool I am. Look, I mean, the, someone please tell me how cool I am. Like, what else does the community want me to do? I've made money. I'm with Kevin Durant. I fly around the world. I travel. I date pretty girls, like just screaming for validation. And I remember the first time I was consciously aware that I was in trouble was two weeks after that event, the NBA all-star game was in Brooklyn, New York. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I have to go to this game. Like my Instagram fans want me to be at this game and I have to go. And I remember getting on a flight from Salt Lake city to JFK. You know, I spent a couple thousand dollars on this ticket that I, and I remember thinking like, I don't give two shits about this game. I don't even want to go. But the only reason I'm going is so I can post a picture on Instagram and get a bunch of likes. Yeah. And it's the type of thing where you probably, you you can only start to figure this out for yourself that what you're actually doing is as harmful as if you had had a drinking or a drug problem. It's it's like a completely different approach to like self-annihilation. But anybody else that's looking at it is like, you're killing it. You're doing so yeah. great at everything you're doing. And inside your soul is just crumbling and crumbling further and you're becoming more disconnected with your with who you actually are at your core with every flight and game and selfie that you take. Yeah. I've coined that term in my book, the success void. Yeah. And the success void is if I were to give you a resume of my life, you would read it and be like, wow, this guy is killing it. You know? Right. 
got money and he's dating pretty girls and he's got nice cars and he's going to cool events and he's hanging out with celebrities. Like, wow, this guy is crushing it. But like, I was absolutely miserable. And I was seeking something external to fix an internal problem. Completely. Yeah. And what was really scary for me at that time too was I'm, I'm very blessed to have incredible mentors in my life. And um, my mentors at the time, they're encouraging me that the solution to my internal problem was to actually go make more money. Like, hey, you've done really, really good. Now, I wasn't like crazy, like private jet money, but I was doing really good. And they're like, hey, go make more. That'll, that, that's how you know you've made it. And I remember thinking like, you know, I'm, I don't know if that's the answer. Like, and so there was this period of time for two or three years where I was just really lost. I hated the job. I got so sick of the job and it wasn't fulfilling at all. And my internal state was terrible. I always felt anxious and angsty and overwhelmed and like time was running out and I could never calm down. And, you know, it was, it was until about 2016, you know, from 2014 to 2016, I just felt like I was just on the hamster wheel, just walking in circles and just self-loathing. And it was, it was a really scary time. Yeah. And you, you just had no tools to start to figure out what, what you actually needed to find, to find yourself and to find some healing. So when in that in that process, did you start to have an idea of, I need to go start exploring some other things that are going to just really crack my shell wide open? Yeah. It's interesting because the mentality wasn't necessarily like, oh, I need to go explore these, these ideas. Mm -hmm. It was, it was more of, um, nothing's working, right? Yeah. I'd left the Mormon faith. I'd fully exited the Mormon faith at this point just because it never resonated. And I'm like, okay, if none of this is working, I'm just going to be curious and kind of just dabble into other things and just kind of see what else is out there, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'm on a mission to go out of here. And so it was kind of like a very gentle um, intro to the to this different space. And so there's a couple of things that happened that really started to get the wheels to turn. And the first was my twin sister. She's woo-woo. She's multiple woos. Um, okay. <laughs> this one. Uh, so I have a twin. She got, she got three, she got three woos. I got one. Um, she, uh, she introduced me to a book called you are a badass by Jen Sincero. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure you've read, right? It's so great. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening it to on audible and I remember thinking like, Oh, this girl's like super charismatic and she's funny and she's talking about energy and the universe. And I'm like, whatever. Like, I don't know if I'm into that, but like, you know, she had a, uh, there's a part of the book where she's just like, even if you don't believe in this stuff, just pretend you do and give it a shot. Just give it a shot. Right. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Like I have nothing to lose. Like nothing's working at this point. So I'll give it a shot. And so she, you know, she talks a little bit about manifestation, which I'm like, that's eh, bullshit. Um, and all this stuff. And so I'm kind of like, yeah, we'll play with it, whatever. And then the second big moment was I was, you know, obviously as this toxic masculine sales bro, I was like a CrossFitter, right? It's like, how much can I squat and bench and press? And so one day after CrossFit, my teacher, uh, her name's Allie and was like, Hey, next door, there's a yoga class. You should come to yoga. I'm like, "Eh, I'm not going to go to yoga. That's silly. She's like, no, like if you get a really deep stretch on your body, it'll improve your performance in CrossFit. I'm like, Oh, if you can help me squat more, I'm in, you know? And so I go to this yoga class with her. And, um, it's a, it's a like slow restorative class. And I've never been to yoga before. You know, she turns all the lights off and this teacher has the candles lit and she's burning the Palo Santo. And I'm like, this is so weird, but whatever, I'm here for it. And then we get to like Shavasana. And I remember like my mind like was quiet. Mm. And I remember being like, what is this? This is so nice. My mind hasn't turned off. I remember thinking when I was laying down there, I'm like, my mind has not turned off in eight years. Constant wow. chatter, 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 more, 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 more. And I'm like, whoa. And it was like this moment where I could breathe. It was like a, ah, I'm like, this is so nice. And I remember in my soul feeling called to yoga. So my personality is like, if I get onto an idea, I'm all in. Like, we're going all in. So the next day, 
buy new Lululemon gear and buy a yoga mat and buy and buy a membership. And I'm like, this is so good. So I start going to yoga a ton and keep dabbling in new books. My twin sister for Christmas that year gave me Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And that book was like transformed. Yeah, your, your sister was doing you right. She was doing you really right. No, she was leaving all these breadcrumbs for me. Yep. And where things really took off is when I read Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, there is a voice in my head. And it's always non-stopping chattering. And it's like, how do you know? And so I'm like, move, the wheels are like moving now, right? And um, you know, there was this experience I had in Costa Rica that I talk in my book, but for the sake of time, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of blow past that. But like I had a really powerful spirit, probably my first spiritual experience in Costa Rica on a yoga experience. Um, that I dive in on the book in more detail and the more things really changed, like whole new, whole new direction in life was I was reading a book and this is spring 2017. Um, I remember I, I got an email from audible saying I, had, I hadn't used my credit for the month yet. And I look at the kind of the new releases and there's a book called stealing fire on that, uh, by Jamie wheel and Stephen Kotler. And that book is all about flow state, right? How to get into the zone whether you're an athlete or a musician or an artist, when you're just in the zone and everything's coming easily and you're not thinking and you're just performing at a high level. And so my intention with that book was like, okay, how can I become a better manager and salesman and leader? And it gets to a point in the book where they talk about psychedelic medicine. And growing up as a Utah sales bro in a conservative Peter Priesthood area, like you're taught that every drug is like crystal meth. And if you do it one time and become addicted and then you'll be homeless and then you'll die. Like that's just, yeah, nobody's n- none of the kids are like, just try mushrooms. It might yeah, be no. fine. Yeah. No. So I'm reading this book and my jaw is on the floor and they talk about MDMA, uh, assisted therapy, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, uh, LSD. And then they talk about DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. And I am like, no way. And the amazing and incredible benefits these compounds have with people suffering from addiction and mental illness and depression and anxiety. And they talk about the mystical experience, right? And I'm like, mystical experience. Like I grew up Mormon and I'm religious. Like if I would have had a mystical experience, it would have happened already, you know? And I hadn't at that point. I remember being like, "Mm, this, this is crazy. But I remember feeling, um, that, there was this moment in my soul where I'm like, there's something here. And where things really changed was, you know, being this sales entrepreneur guy, there's a quote from Steve Jobs. And, you know, anyone in the business world, Steve Jobs is like the icon. Like he literally changed the way the humanity lives. And there's a quote from Steve Jobs where he says, you know, doing LSD was one of the most profound experiences of my entire life. So I'm like, oh, here's this credible source who is talking positively of these experiences, I'm like, I got to try this. So first synchronicity pops in per the universe. I'm out at a, a party two weeks later and I've never been offered, you know, a schedule one drug in my entire life other than marijuana, right? I've offered pop, but other than that, nothing else. And I run into a friend at this party I hadn't seen in like 10 years. And he's like, Hey, you know, we have some psychedelic, you know, compound here if you want to try it. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, like 99 <laughs> out of a hundred times I'm saying no, but I'm like, I have to see what's here. Like I have to explore this realm. And so I go to this party and this is, it sounds, and I still have, I still can't make sense of it today, but I took MDMA at a party and anyone who's taken MDMA, it's like, it's kind of like a, the rave party drug where you just feel really open and lovey and connected and the music sounds good and the lights are cool and whatever. So I'm like, okay, let's give it a shot. So me and a, a best friend um, at this party took a press pill, same same, same time each other. He'd never done anything and I'd never done anything. So 45 minutes into the experience, I'm having kind of like your typical experience where I love everyone and my heart feels really open and I feel really good and relaxed and motivated. And you know, I was having a good experience and kind of making some cool connections in my mind. And I remember thinking like, this is cool. But like, I'm not, this isn't like some deep transformational, spiritual, mystical experience. And um, I rem- I'll never forget, I'm laying on the ground uh, in 
in uh, the bed, master bedroom of this cabin. And, you know, my buddy had all the lights off and he was playing, you know, dead mouse music and had the glow sticks going. And I'm like, cool, we're doing drugs, whatever. Like, let's do it. Everyone leaves. Someone like came in and like turned the lights on and like killed the vibe. And I'm like laying down with my hands behind my head. And I remember thinking like, there's more here. There's, there's more here. And I go to stand up and this is probably an hour and a half, two hours into the experience. I go to stand up and I have like the, oh shit moment. Like I need help. I need help right now. And I was frozen in like time. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Get Out, but like there's that place where he calls the sunken place where he's like fallen. I'd I'd like fallen out of, I can't, it's hard to explain, but I like had fallen out of my body and I was frozen. And I started getting really crazy memories from when I was like three or four years old. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, oh, my life is flashing before my eyes. Like I'm dead. I've died. I like someone's going to, I remember thinking someone's going to have to call my mom and tell her I did drugs at a cabin party and died. Like how devastating is that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was like, fuck, like it was, it was terrifying, scary, awful. It was the worst experience of my life where I was like frozen in another dimension of time. And then all of a sudden it was like, Whoo! and I slapped back into my body and everything was so different. I remember like looking at my hands and I'm like, what is going on? And I walked out of the bedroom into the main kitchen area. And when I opened up that door in that bedroom and walked into the kitchen, it's so hard to explain, but the best words I can use were, I was in another dimension of life. Like I was in a spirit world. Yeah. And it was so astonishing, like mind melting, astonishing of what was going on. I wasn't hallucinating. It wasn't like my eyes were cold and I was hallucinating. I was physically in a higher dimension and everything looked way more real. Like 5d is insane. I could see energy patterns, like geometric patterns in the air. I could look at someone and there was like this, you know, cloud breathing around them. And then people had like these light systems up like their body and they were angelic. And it was almost like I could hear like trumpets playing in the background, like angels playing. And it was so interesting is I would look at someone and I just knew so much about them. And I remember looking at one of my best friends who was sober that night. And I was like, oh my gosh, his divorce has been so hard on him. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, it wasn't like, oh, dude, I'm sorry, I love you. Because MDMA is an empathetic experience. There was no empathy. It was just like a matter of fact, like, oh, he's, he's dealing with a lot. And um, I remember walking into the, tab- into the main room and there was this old wooden uh, table that was like the dinner table. And I put my hand on it and I could see the energy patterns in the wood. Anything that had ever been alive, I could see the energy in it still. And I was like, holy shit. My first thought is those damn hippies were right. Like (laughs) the hippies were right. And so two things that were fascinating here is the first was, since this was my first experience ever, I thought this is what happened every single time you took this, had this experience. Yeah. Now you're probably like, let's do this all the time. And I, well, my thought was how come no one talks about this place? Like people come here all the time and not talk about it. Like this makes no sense. Why do people keep this secret? Like I thought it was just like this big inside secret people talked about it. And I kept saying, you know, like we finally made it. We got here. Like we, we did it. We finally did it. We finally have made it here. And so I walk out onto the the patio and my buddy's cabin overlooks this lake up in, in Utah. And I see the lake and I see the earth's soul breathing. And I was like, holy shit, mother earth. Oh, it's an actual entity. It's a spirit. Like, oh my gosh, I get it. It's an actual breathing live. It's not just like a weird name people gave it. It's an, it's a real thing. And so I walk back inside and then this is, I mean, I'll never, they'll never be the same after this moment. This, this beam of light socks me on the top of the head and it's the infinite love of the creator. And, you know, think of the happiest day of the happiest moment of your life. And that's a 10 on the scale. This immersive, expansive love that I felt was a 100. It's a whole nother scale of depth and understanding. And my first impression of that experience was remembering that I didn't have to earn it. 
I didn't have to earn the creator's love. It's, it's there for me, overwhelming in an experience. And it, what, there was no checklist. It wasn't like, have you done these things? It was like, I love you exactly for who you are. And it, the, the light like immersed my whole body. And I had this brief moment of egotistic where I was, my ego was really big because I looked down and I'm like, holy shit, I'm God. <laughs> like I am God. And there was this moment of like, of like, it's me, it's me. I'm the one. And I look up and I'm like, oh, everyone's God. Yeah. You're God. I'm God. The plants are God. The animals are God. The wind is God. Not only am I the most beautiful creation in God's universe, everything is the most beautiful creation in God's universe. And everything just made sense in that moment. It was like, I get it. Like, oh, I get it now. And then I start to realize I'm having a little bit different experience than everyone else. Right. They're still like spinning glow sticks and you're like, I just saw the soul of the earth. Okay. Yeah, like, where do I we go from here? Fully immersed in infinite God energy. Like mm-hmm. we're, on, we're having different experiences. And so I go, I go upstairs and I'm like, I need to be alone for a moment. And so I lay down on this couch and then I start hallucinating. Like I close my eyes and then I start having these really intense visions of, you know, and I'm not claiming this is true. I'm not claiming I'm like, it's just as how I interpret it for me. And I'm just sharing it. I'm not claiming to be like some industry expert now by any means. But when I close my eyes, the first thing that happens was I see like, before we are born, we're like these infinite orbs of energy and we come together and and it's hard to explain, but more in like a, I would say a a general's tent. And in this general's tent, it's like, okay, I'm going to meet you, your soul at this point in your life. And you're going to teach me this. It was almost like contraction. Like there was a contract, right? Yeah. You teach me this at this point, you teach me this at this point. And then we all kind of discuss. And then it's like, we all put our hands in the middle and it's like, okay, ready, break, go. And then you come to earth and then you live out the experiences and you learn through experiences. You learn through experiences that kept coming up. And then after we die, I remember I was in this, you know, afterlife, I'm in this massive dome and there was a million stars in the sky, so many, like countless. And there was a spirit guide there with me. And I remember saying like, wow, where are we? There's so many stars. And this guide is like, oh, those aren't stars. Those are other experiences that aren't human. So as your soul evolves and you complete earth, your soul will continue to progress like eternal progression. Like it's an infinite, and I, and I comprehended infinity and eternal progression in a way that I'd never experienced before. And I was like, holy shit. And then it kind of ended. And uh, I remember going downstairs to my buddy who gave me that pill. And I'm like, dude, thank you so much. Like, <laughs> I'm, nothing will ever be the same ever again. And he's like, yeah, glad you're having fun. I'm like, no, like, I will never be the same ever again. Um. And yeah, that was on June 10th, 2017. And, you know, I, I talk about the fun synchronicities of that date in, in, in my book, but um, that experience was so, you can see over my shoulder here, I've got this painting here, right? Of this, this person with their mind expanding in the cosmos. I'm like, that's literally what happened to me that night. And yeah, that was you. That was me. And I've never, I've never been the same since that night. That's a, that's a, that's a wild way for it to go down. Yeah. And and thank thank goodness it did go down for you that way because you 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 needed you needed to have that massively opening experience to start to connect in in a new way and it was like all the little moments leading up to that finding yoga starting to find some peace there and and then going into that experience and so now the things that you offer as i was digging around in the app it's like little things like gratitude breathe Take a moment and think about your goals. Think about meditating, perhaps. So how did you how did you decide that you needed to build something that would it's it's kind of like a nice little gateway into finding that experience the app is? Yeah. So I had this so after that night, I was so curious, like, okay, my life's never the same. And my mentality is like go all in. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go down the rabbit hole. So for the next two years after that night, I explored everything you can think of, right? And I did, you know, that eventually led me to psilocybin ceremonies. Eventually led me to ayahuasca circles. Eventually led me to 5-MeO-DMT and astrology and biofeedback and burning man and yoga and crystals and Reiki and 
I'm just like, I need to figure out what works for me. That's all pretty woo. Yeah. That, that's maybe like double woos there. Oh yeah. I was double, triple woos, you know, <laughs> yeah, quadruple woos. I was doing some woo, 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 woo stuff. And, um, I had this realization where I'm like, you know, thinking about the demographic that I came from, this kind of this toxic masculine sales bro vibe. I'm like, these people need this help so much, but like, there's no chance in hell I'm going to be able to round up a a bunch of these guys and go down to the jungle in Peru and do ayahuasca. It's just not happening. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but there's so many incredible tools out there that can really soften people. And I just remember thinking the current way that the woo-woo space is being presented in the world, it's almost unappro- unapproachable for a, for a large demographic. Totally. Right? Yeah, completely. The turn off, it's weird. It's hippy dippy. It's soft, you know? So I'm like, okay, how can I take the best of these practices, the gratitude, the mindfulness, the meditation, the goal setting, um, and present it in a way that's more approachable and to go help, you know, a large demographic of people. And that's how the daily shifts was born was I need to, so it's almost like I crossed the river. I went deep down into the mountains, down into the cave, took out a lot of the good content. Now I'm bringing it back over the river, right. In a more, I'm bridging the gap between the two worlds. Yeah, totally. And so that was, that was the whole, that's the whole intention of my brand and my business is to bring these principles, these woo-woo principles, you know, that are universal truths, right? A lot of them are just universal truths. And how can I package them in a way and present them in a way where more people have access to these tools and techniques to improve the quality of their lives? Yeah, it's it's so it's so great because it's it's so true. Just the idea of even you walking into an, a restorative yoga class yeah. was like, whoa, this is like weird. There's like a candle and the lights are down and now we're going to like lay on our backs and breathe. It was super intimidating. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a part of why, I mean, it's a big reason why the show exists is because I want to introduce folks to modalities that seem perhaps taboo, Mm -hmm. sometimes scary, very out of alignment with what maybe they were raised to believe was was good for them. so that they can make decisions about things that they might want to explore. And the the things that you have inside of the app, like the gratitude practice, the breath practice, the meditation practice, those, I think no matter what modality you're exploring, those are the basics. Yeah. And almost every modality. It's like, yep. if we can think about raising our vibrational frequency through gratitude, if we can connect to our body through breath, if we can attempt to find some centering through meditation, then we are starting to open the door in a new way. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. So it's, it's so important. And so the book, tell me a little bit about the book. So you're, you've, the whole story of all of the things that you explored and all the things that you tried and, and the, the background of how you got there is all in the book. So tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, so the book is actually got it right here. It's Holy Shit, We're Alive. Um, the Psychedelically Sparked Spiritual Journey of an Ex-Mormon Millionaire. Um, <laughs> got a nice little punch to it. Yeah. Um, the book kind of just happened. It was just, it was, I knew it was time to do it. Um, and the intention of the book is to inspire others to start down their spiritual awakening and their journey of self, self-love, right? And, you know, the biggest takeaway from all of my experiences was... Um, I ended up meeting a girl during my kind of my awakening and I had a really powerful, romantic, cosmic twin flame relationship with this girl and it was beautiful and out of the blue, she left me and it was just soul crushing to me at the time. And I had this realization of, oh my gosh, I had outsourced all my happiness to her and I don't love myself. I don't love myself because I'm the fat kid. I don't love myself because I feel like I, you know, did my community wrong and God wrong and my mom wrong by getting sent home from my mission. I don't love myself because I feel abandoned by my dad, right? I don't love myself for, you know, all of these different reasons. And I'm like, I need to learn to love myself. And as corny as that sounds, I went on this journey of self-love and realized that self-love is the actual ultimate superpower, because when you truly, truly, truly at your core love yourself and have radical self-acceptance, 
you no longer crave that validation that I was seeking for my whole life. Mm-hmm. No longer need, I don't need your approval. I'll always want your approval because it feels good. But my personal worthiness isn't dependent upon if you approve of me or not. And when yeah. you get to that place in your life, you become a superhero because you have the unwavering confidence to express your highest gifts with the world because it doesn't matter how it lands. And it gives you permission to be authentic and it gives you confidence to express yourself and and to go explore new parts of yourself. And so I was able to dabble with that idea and I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I package this up in a way and put this book out into the world to help inspire other people to live the same? Because if, you know, if I can help inspire you to have unwavering self-love, like that's the ultimate gift you can give to somebody in my opinion. Yeah, totally. And then the other thing that happens when you find that superpower is the way you show up for everyone else around you just shifts completely. And you're able to love and show compassion and and hold empathy for others in a way that you you never could before when you were directing all of your that that love energy outwards versus to yourself. It, it's literally the equivalent of living on a new planet. Yeah. Like, your, your entire human experience is completely different when you really embody self-love because it just gives you this unwavering confidence. And as you move through the world and you're attracting such different people because your energetic state is so different that you're, all of your surroundings start to change. Yeah, completely. Oh, we could talk about all this stuff for yeah. days. Yeah, I love could. it. Yeah. We, we totally could. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you our, our fine final five questions. And I'm, I'm so interested to hear what comes up for you with these as well. So the first one is tell us about an object or charm that is special to you. Cool. So I actually have it right here. It's this little bracelet I have, right. And you've got a little meditating astronaut right there. And then all of the planets. Oh, super right. cool. Right. And it's funny because I actually just bought, I think I got it on Amazon. It wasn't like I got it somewhere cool, like Bali or anything, but to me, that's just, it reminds me of the cosmic perspective. Like here I am a little dust speck on a rock in the middle of infinity. And once you can really embody the miracle of being human, it really puts things into perspective a little bit more. I, I get out of my head. I don't get frustrated when there's a line at Starbucks. I don't get frustrated where the, you know, a girl I like doesn't text me back because it's like just being human and having this experience is such a gift. And that little bracelet is a reminder to meditate, relax, calm down. I'm on a rock orbiting a star going 60,000 miles an hour through space. No one knows what the hell is going on. Just (laughs) embrace the human experience. That's a good one. That's really good. Okay. We've talked a lot about a lot of books, but tell me about a specific book that changed your life. Yeah. Untethered Soul. And it's not even close, right? Untethered Soul was, you know, Michael Stinger did an incredible job of really breaking down my mind in a sense of having, you know, I have emotions, right? I have thoughts and I experience the outside world, right? And how to differentiate yourself, differentiate thoughts and emotions and, and my true self. I'm I am the experiencer experiencing the experience. Right. That was that that was such a profound idea where it's like I'm the one behind. I'm the one that sees. I'm the one that experiences Doug's thoughts. I'm the one that experiences Doug emotions. And really incorporating that book created that space in between a stimulus and a response. Mm. Right? Something happens in life and I normally just respond. Now when things happen, I can take a moment to pause, right, before responding. And that would I mean that changed the whole game for me. Yeah. So, such a good one. Yeah, it really that's a book that should probably be on anyone who's embarking on a spiritual journey. It's like the top three. Totally. Maybe. Totally. You know, I think yeah. that that's, it's just so, such an important one. Okay. Tell me about, well, we've talked, we've talked about some moments, but tell me about a, an, an experience or moment that changed your life in a profound way. Yeah. So I talk about this in the book, but I had this moment where I, um, it's probably the most, one of the really magical moment for me. I was meditating. So I was building the daily shifts and I was running out of money. And I needed, you know, 40 grand to finish the app. And I had like maybe six or $7,000 left to my name because I'd left my other job and it was all in. And I was like, I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel overwhelmed. I knew that the universe was going to play it out. And I had this moment where I was meditating on my ultra and I meditate with a blindfold on so I can go really deep. And I had this like unwavering 
conviction. It's like, you need to stop meditating right now and go back to your old place of work. I'm like, okay, when I'm done with my meditation, I'll go. And it's like, no, go right now. And so I got up, I drove to where my old place of work hadn't been there in like nine months, had no idea why, didn't know what was going on. Walk into my old building, see three of my mentors in a room by themselves. They wave me in and they're like, hey, how's it been? It's been so long. What are you up to? I showed them a beta version of my app. And they were like, this is incredible. You know, are you looking to raise money? And I was like, yeah. And in that one conversation within 30 minutes, raised multiple six figures for my business. Wow. Based off of a, a hit I got in meditation. So that was that was a life transformative moment right there. Uh, so, so so special and so important. And, you know, sometimes when people are like, I, I just, I don't, I can't figure out meditation. I don't know how to do it. It's like, you really don't have to do, you don't have to really do much. Like the things will start to unfold for you if you yeah. just commit to giving yourself the time and space to do it. And then you'll start to find what works for you mm-hmm. the best. And, but ultimately it's about getting quiet, just working to get quiet. And then things like that can kind of rise. Totally. So cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is something that you do for your health and wellness? So many things. Um, I'm going to go with what I'm doing right now that I haven't been doing. Um, I'm, I'm a strong meditator. I eat really healthy. I move my body. Um, I've been going insane on my journal recently. Um, I'm right when I wake up, I'm journaling and just it's just free thoughts. So this thing kind of just comes with me wherever I go. And so whether it's first thing in the morning, I might have ideas that pop in. I'm just doing a lot of free writing right now. And it's like insanely therapeutic. So I used to just normally be like, okay, in the morning at 8 to 8.30, I'm going to journal half a page and then that's it. And I'm done for the day. Now it's like anytime thoughts are coming, I'm, mm. I'm journaling so much more at this point and it's so healthy and I'm getting, I'm making clear connections on ideas that I haven't had in a long time. And, uh, it's been such a blessing for me right now. So this free writing when thoughts occur has been has been a huge benefit for me. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, and then the last one is: tell me about a moment you knew magic was real. Yeah, so this is gonna be a, a different type of answer you probably had, but it was when I did a deep dive study on astrophysics, mm, like cool reading actual science books. Right. So there's a separation between like magic and science. And when I started reading real science books of like, okay, what is going on in the universe right now on a scientific level? I was like, holy shit, this is insane. Like there's universe is so incredibly big, so incredibly massive. We haven't found any other life out in the universe. And here I am on planet earth and without any human human involvement, we have beaches and mountain ranges and plants and animals and a full functioning ecosystem that just thrives without human involvement. And we have this um, atmosphere, which is a magnetic force field that blocks deadly solar rays from killing our planet. We, it just is that way. It just does that. Pretty, it's pretty magical. I'm like, being alive on planet Earth in itself is magical. Like, if you think about plants, they eat solar rays from the sky. We put water on it, we put them in the ground, and a red pepper just grows. Like, where is the intelligence for that? How does it know to do that? And just being alive on planet Earth, I'm like, we live on a magical planet. This is insane. Fully, fully. And and when you think about it, when you think about it and just go there, it's like all the petty shit that we get ourselves into. It's it's just, it, it becomes much easier to start letting all that stuff go. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, all right, Doug, tell us if someone wants to download the app, tell us about where to get the app and then also where to get the book. Cool. So my app is The Daily Shifts in the Apple App Store. Uh, We have Android coming in a couple of months. Um, The book is Holy Shit, We're Alive on Amazon, which hit number one bestseller. I'm super proud of that. And um, I'm on Instagram. That's the easiest way to contact me at Doug underscore Cartwright. And I respond to all my DMs. So if you have a DM or you read the book or you had feedback or you have a question, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to chat with you. 
Yeah, and you've got you've got so many great reviews for for the book, both from people who have read it and had their have had life changing experiences yeah. from it, but also the editorial reviews. The first one is from Ozan Verol, who I'm a big fan of, who has uh, the the best selling book, Think Like a Rocket Scientist. I actually got to spend some time with him at a conference mm. uh, last well earlier this year, January of 2021. Um, yeah. January of 2021 and and just seeing seeing the profound impact you're making with the book already is just really exciting. So, yeah. congratulations on that. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Doug. We appreciate it so much. Thanks, Andy. I told you that would be a juicy one. So much gratitude to Doug for being here. If you're loving the show, if this episode resonated with you, you already know what to do. Leave us a review. It means the world to us and it helps us to get this show out to more listeners and help more people create transformation in their lives. And if there's someone that you're thinking of that needs to hear this message today that Doug shared, the conversation we've been having, we love it when you send the show, just pass it along. If you want to share in social media, I love seeing your faces. I love seeing who's listening. Share in social media and tag us at your woo woo BFF. And of course, you can drop us a note in DMs. Come chat with me on my page. It's Andy at wee wee girl, O-U-I-W-E-G-I-R-L. You obviously already know my name and I'm telling you my name again. Okay, clearly we're done. We are done. We are complete for today. I will see you again super soon for this bonus episode that we have coming up with Nadia. Until then, be well, spread love, take good care, and don't let this Mercury retrograde take you down. All right. I'll see you super soon. Much love.